This episode of As It Comes, Life from a Musician's Point of View, features some talk about alcoholism, substance abuse, addiction, and some strong language. Hello and welcome to As It Comes, Life from a Musician's Point of View. I'm Davina, I'm a freelance cellist based in London, and once again, things are starting to open up again here in the UK. I realise I said something quite similar last year, probably. But I'm incredibly heartened to see concerts and performances occurring regularly again. Remember how back in the day you might have gotten annoyed with people who posted excessively about what gigs they were doing on social media? You know the feeling, scrolling through, seeing who's playing with whom and where, with an annoying caption like, oh, just another day at the office, as they look pensively over an infinity pool in some exotic location, cradling their instrument. Oh, don't fall, love. (laughs) To be fair, those sorts of gigs are still a while away, but I'm actually really happy to see people posting about what they've been up to because I can feel their genuine excitement to be back on stage with their colleagues. Last week, a friend of mine posted a couple videos in her Instagram story. She went to a performance in a concert hall and wrote on the first video, this sound. It was the orchestra tuning up. The next video said, and this sound. It was the sound of the audience clapping. It made me really happy to hear those two quintessential sounds of going to a live performance. And it really hits home how it's been over a year of this pandemic. That friend who posted on Instagram was Sonia Shebeck. She's a violinist of many talents, a fire performer, as well as founder and artistic director of the Freestyle Orchestra an ensemble combining their skills of classical music with other disciplines such as circus arts, ballet, yoga, costume design, physical theatre, through expansive ways of presenting concerts to a wide audience. I first met Sonia back in 2009 while we were both studying at Sydney Con, Sydney Conservatorium of Music, though now Sonia's based in Vienna. Recently, Sonia posted on social media about celebrating six years of being sober, and I'm very grateful to have her on the podcast to talk about her experiences. Trigger warning, our conversation includes talk about alcoholism, substance abuse, addiction, and some strong language. Here's my chat with Sonia. Sonia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me in Vienna. Um, So I'll just introduce you to people who might not know who you are. You're an Australian violinist living in Vienna. And we actually go way back because we studied together back at Sydney Con. You're also a violinist in the Freestyle Orchestra and a fire performer as well. So very versatile artistic skills there. But first of all, tell me, how's your 2021 been? What's it like in Vienna during this time of the pandemic? Dude, like, <laughs> like who would have thought? I mean, who would have dreamt this up? Seriously, like, 
few years ago or something, you know? Actually, it's weird. Like a few months ago, someone asked me this question and I literally couldn't answer for like a few days. It's not something I think about daily. Like how is stuff here? You know, you just sort of like, as cheesy as it sounds, you just sort of like get on with the day to day, I guess. In some ways, musicians or artists have a slight advantage in that we're used to spending like extended periods of time alone practicing or researching something. Waiting for the next thing to come in and then like having a really busy patch and then having that period of nothing yeah especially freelance or just you know even just your day-to-day practice or training or whatever it is you know you are on your own you know that part of it maybe we had a slight advantage like <laughs> like oh, we have to have one <laughs> yeah 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 and as well you know with the free cell orchestra as you mentioned like it is a group of people who do live in all different countries so we are quite used to working online that was also very lucky and you know we'd already decided in 2020 2021 to do more collaborations and stuff so in many ways we were lucky and it's weird because I talk about this with people and I'm like oh you know how can we really complain where we are you know Vienna it's like for reference we're in May now and you know India's just exploding and then I was talking with an artist friend the other day and he's like no complain agitate like make it better like do stuff and so there's that dual kind of thing inside you which is like oh man like we're actually so lucky but we're not you know so yeah I don't know. I know what you mean. It's kind of like you want to feel grateful for all the things that you do have. Yeah. But like not completely disregard all the crap that's going on in the rest of the world. And it's like, what do you do? You know, sometimes it's like the most you can do is just acknowledge where you are and where the rest of the world is. But then how do things change from there? Yeah, exactly. So I have trouble sitting still even without a pandemic. So it's really just been about, you know, (laughs) just keeping stuff going. And what's been really cool, though, I think is like, Yeah, just the creativity that's come out of it. I mean, I love our industry. I mean, the way people have gotten around it and ideas that have popped up of like, you know, online things or just creative ways to deal with it. I mean, we were really lucky in Europe. We had a lot of freedom over the summer, like last summer, I mean. So 2020, that opened up a lot of collaborations that may not have happened otherwise with, you know, artists who were sort of in places that they may not have been. Um. One of our guys, Sam, he's a he's a hand balancer and he actually we managed to establish the first handstand convention of his that he's dreamt about for ages and there was just this open window of time that actually allowed that to happen and things like that and we did like, you know, a bit of creation work and collaboration work with people. But then as things sort of started to like get a bit worse again towards the end of the year we got a bunch of artists in Vienna together like whoever was in Vienna from Freestyle Orchestra and a bunch of acrobats and stuff and we started doing little shows in shop windows which was great because you know it was warm for us but yeah everything was cancelled here no Christmas markets no nothing so we just sort of like well what can we do to sort of activate the city a little bit because there were still people around you know it's really cool because that's happening I think now in London too and in Hungary there's a group that does it in America an aerial studio open it's just like finding ways to sort of keep things going yeah and I think also it's been actually quite useful to have that time where we have been locked down so that it provides quite fertile ground for creativity (laughs) yeah is that what you found when you had these windows of opportunity you know coming out of various stages of lockdown I suppose do you feel like you're ready to go with lots of fresh new ideas well we sort of actually planned for this we we started a thing called weird shit Wednesdays (laughs) Um, and basically what that is is like every Wednesday which is like why it's quite interesting that today is a Wednesday because the idea is that on Wednesdays you work on all those crazy ideas of yours that you wouldn't normally like the really 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 nuts ones and you make Uh time every week to just 
go into those. And so um, we've been doing that for a few months with a few um, different people and companies in Vienna. And it's really like anything goes. And it's not actually about bringing the idea to full fruition. It's about starting and about yeah. using those skills or learning new skills, which when things open up, you will need. And then you, when things do open up, you'd be ready to go. So, for example, we, we filmed this 80s video to some words a friend of ours wrote to Never Ending Story to Never Ending Housework, right? But we wrote up the call sheet like, sheet like you know, like a proper camera, like proper film set, you know, A roll, B roll. Like we, we treated it as a professional thing, even though it was kind of like a fun thing. So essentially just yeah. training on all your weird ideas so that when the time comes, you're like ready to go and the team yeah. is well oiled. Honestly, I find my brain needs that. Use it or lose it, you know? It's like anything yeah. if you don't practice. And organization is one of those skills. I think just because there is a lockdown, it doesn't mean you stop doing the work, you know, the background work for whatever, like who knows yeah. when the projects will happen. That's really interesting to hear from someone like yourself who I think has quite high energy and quite a high capacity for work because for someone like me I feel like with the lockdown it was time for me just to do a bit of nothing for a bit like obviously I had things going on like this podcast but really interesting to hear that you've got to keep going but like I think it means that you have really productive sessions in that way you have but also you know like I think musicians have had to sort of what do they call it pivot <laughs> pivot <laughs> get new skills like you know like as we were just talking about you know before we started this recording has become a thing like being able to do good recordings in your bedroom like that's been a steep learning curve honestly so Ableton and stuff and running sessions on your own and and it's really interesting to see how the classical world has sort of almost like woken up because honestly I don't think that many organizations are that prepared for digital so that's yeah. been an interesting shift as well that's been happening they've sort of had to like move forward five years or 10 years in a very short amount of time <laughs> yeah and even just think about how to engage audiences because all of a sudden you're in the mix with every other form of entertainment you're not just yeah. in your niche anymore you're on against everything on YouTube against everything in every digital platform so like how yeah. to engage people but that's been really interesting to watch and you know listening to as many panels like that that was another thing the amount of online panels and people just discussing things both in the circus community and in the classical community that you know I was on a drinks panels with like directors of festivals like that would never happen yeah exactly there's so much more accessibility now just the fact that you know we can be connected so much we were talking earlier about being grateful for things and one thing I'm very grateful for is as mundane as it sounds, is Zoom, you know, just oh, dude. because it would not have occurred to me before the pandemic to do all of this podcast stuff online. Like I used to have to schedule face-to-face -face meetings or wait until someone from another country came to London so I could talk to them. But it just opens up a bigger space for collaboration and communication. For sure. And yeah, I think people are just more open because they're like, well, what else are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> it's like weird shit Wednesdays I mean what else are you going to do on a Wednesday and I have to thank you because actually one of the things on my list was getting better at talking about work because it's not something I practice or I'm that comfortable with so thank you I <laughs> right right well I have to say you're speaking very very well about your work so tell me a little bit about your work with freestyle orchestra so it's you can correct me if this is wrong but classical musicians combining with a lot of circus artistry and acrobat work it's an artist collective is probably the best way to describe it yeah a bunch of artists and everyone does have interests outside of classical music yes we do use elements of modern circus or physical movement and that's the stuff that sort of 
tends to get the most attention. But the reason it's not called a stunt orchestra or a circus orchestra is because we do occasionally just stand there and play. <laughs> or we do, you know, <laughs> use electronics or other yeah. music genres or, you know, costume design or things like this. So it really, it is like getting involved in a piece in every aspect from as I said, like deciding what movement we sort of feel fits it or in which ways that we might be able to sort of embed information about a piece. Because I didn't come from a musical family, you know, so I grew up going to concerts, you know, in city recital hall or places like that. And I'd inevitably at some point sometimes become a little bit disengaged and sort of imagine all the stuff that I would do in that space with, with those resources or, you know, because your concert hall is a big space and most people only ever use, like, the bottom 10% of it. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's so true. And a lot of the times I just come out with my program, like, filled with notes of, like, you know, things that I might want to do one day. And this is, like, you know, when I was a teenager or whatever. At the same time, like, if somebody had given me my dream team at 19, I would not known what to do, you know. I really had to, like, <laughs> cut my teeth on other projects, travel, experience other things. But, you know, I'd mention it to people along the way and, you know, I'd see people playing on the street who I thought had balls and be like, hey, you know, I want to do this thing one day. I mean, we did do sort of experiments in Sydney, you know, and I did have circus mentors there who I learned various things from. But like, as far as doing a proper show, like we did a lot of corporate and that sort of stuff, but nothing concrete. So about five years ago, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to sort of start putting this together. So I called up a couple of the the guys that had been, you know, trying stuff out in Sydney with, and then we found some people in Europe that were interested and we sort of did started really like workshopping it. Curiosity is the main factor of like people that are just open to anything and curious because it is sort of, questioning everything about how an orchestra functions you know what I mean like yes we're an ensemble but we all live in different countries and yes we perform Mm -hmm. classical music but maybe we do other stuff too or we move to it and yes we perform in concert halls but we don't have a concert hall that's our base so what our season looks like is more festivals that we do each year or residencies that we do or we're the resident band for a circus festival or a handstand convention or something and so in that way it through these other sort of genres I guess you would say or these other fields we tend to be able to reach people that we wouldn't otherwise there's a great quote from Winnie the Pooh I think it is it's like you can't just sit in your corner of the forest and wait for people to come to you you have to go to them sometimes (laughs) I love it we do play in street festivals we play in concert halls we play in you know on top of a mountain once we (laughs) it really is about like you know meeting people in their daily life and advocating for this music and this art you're bringing music to lots of different people rather than waiting for them to come and see you yeah although honestly that wasn't like the first aim that like literally I just see stuff happening when I hear certain music and then it just bugs me until I can put it on stage or learn how to do it (laughs) like that is the, the fundamental thing but I was lucky enough to like find or convince a bunch of people to do it with me and that now here we are (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, another thing to be grateful for, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so true. I mean, you think art in itself is so multifaceted, but like we as classical musicians, we're very prone to focusing on one tiny, tiny little aspect of it. But I think the more that we can learn from other aspects of art as well can only further inform what we do. And then it just expands. Otherwise, we'd just be replicating the same things over and over again for hundreds and hundreds of years. True. And that is kind of like, a, I guess, a contentious thing. That is absolutely a noble thing 
to replicate this because how else are people going to experience stuff that was written 400 years ago you know what I mean without people really putting in the time to try to understand how it was performed back then or the style and this and you know it's not like I would touch every single piece of music like we only work with music that we really see something happening to you know or with new composers and it is it is fascinating how one can influence the other. What movement there is can influence how you play the music and vice versa. I was uh, playing uh, Ross Edwards' Meninia's Concerto, which we also choreographed with the Freestyle Orchestra with acrobatics and fire and all sorts of stuff for Vivid Festival two years ago. But before that, um, I was playing it for the Houston Ballet's tour of Germany. The cadenza, which is four minutes long, is you know it's just me and two dancers. And they sent me the DVD so I could learn all the the movements and stuff. But actually what happened, so I knew where every movement should go and what, you know, where it was, but they actually sent two different dancers. And how they danced influenced how I interpreted that music. Yeah. This intersection is, it's fascinating and so broad. Yeah, I, well, I imagine with something like that, also you'd never play it exactly the same two times in a row. That too. Yeah. And so, yeah, like it's it's really great when you do have the time. Like we had a week because it is different every night. Maybe the lift is slightly later and how do you push and pull that, you know? And it's mm, also why yeah. I, I train a lot of disciplines because even if I don't perform them, I want to know what I'm asking someone to do or have an, at least an understanding, basic understanding. Yeah. yeah, you're not asking them to do something physically that's... I mean, there are directors who don't mind. and that's fine too. It's just, you know, it's a personal thing, but yeah, so... Yeah. Can I ask a practical question? So I know that you do a lot of work with fire performing. Yeah. How do you go about avoiding catching your violin on fire? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's usually quite far away. Okay. It doesn't always look like it is, though. Maybe it's just photos I've seen. I'm not sure. <laughs> you don't do it unless you feel absolutely ready. So you train with a water bottle and then maybe with a piece of wood and then <laughs> with the stunt violin and then with your real violin. I could set a violin on fire and not leave a mark on it, put it that way, if I use the right fuel. Okay, so I guess the answer to my question is you're a professional and you know what you're doing. <laughs> well, hopefully, yes. You know, I had really great teachers for fire who really taught yeah. me to, like this is going to sound a bit hippie, but like to respect it. It's like an honor to work with it because it can bite you. Um, so you never do it when you're tired, when you're, you know, not in your right mind. You always have a safety. The safety knows what it's meant to look like. So my, yeah. my, my circus mentors um, were great in that way, that it was safety yeah. safety first. I like that. Thank you. I, I did wonder. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's like our yeah, double very... bass player was like, yeah, you know, I think it's important for people to know we're not just a bunch of like randoms yoloing it. You know, we do actually... <laughs> Yeah, no, of course. And this is why I want to find out, you know, it's like, how do you do these things? Which like, to me, my untrained eye is just like, whoa, you know, the mind boggles. But obviously, there's so much that you have to look into. And, and as you say, you wouldn't do something if you didn't feel comfortable doing it. No. And yes. it's, yeah, it is about that as well. It is about showing people something they might not have seen before. Personally, like, you know, I've loved fire from a young age. I feel like I can get a really different energy from an audience if I use fire than I can with just just a violin, you know. it's And then when you combine them, it's really nice. It's interesting to play with that. You know, in the end, I guess, like, all you can do is sort of, like, make things that you would enjoy watching and then hope that, you know, people sort of connect with them in some way. Because, you know, you're, you're a human performing for other humans. So... Like, if it's not genuine, if it's not from that sort of, like, genuine place, then they can tell. So, yeah, you have to just put stuff forward that you can stand behind. 
that you believe yeah I think authenticity will be a huge driving factor in any but it can change you know like maybe you watch a show you did like a few years ago and you're like oh I wouldn't do that again I feel like it's very fleeting that moment of uh when you look back on some past creative work and you can think from that fleeting moment oh wow that was great and then it passes and you think okay we could improve (laughs) I think if you're driven by authenticity and by quality then the art will speak for itself and you know my favorite thing to see on a person's face is like that look of wonder when they're just completely in it and the older they are the more satisfying it is for me because then you're really like it's like that childlike fascination I think that's something really cool if you can give that to someone there we did a show um in Switzerland I think a few years ago and it was not the ideal prep um but we got there in the end no you know as we always say no one died it was a tough one but the actual show was like it went really well you know but throughout the entire thing like there was this one lady in the front she would have been in her 60s or something front and center front row and every time I put fire in my mouth I could feel her and the the audience like breathing with me you know and she wow. just had this look on her face and I was like, you know what? Everything we went through to get here is worth it just for that one lady. Yeah. And then she, she met us afterwards and bought us wine and stuff and everything. And it was, it was really great. Recently on social media, you announced that you're celebrating six years of being sober. And, you know, congratulations. I think it's a huge testament to your strength that you're able to so open so you know looking back at your musical journey what sort of battles were you fighting how have you managed to overcome them you know six years later yeah well first I'm gonna slightly push back on the strength thing because in the end honestly wasn't a choice for me I was like I thought I was gonna die so that made it very easy there are people who do make a clear choice and all power to them because I think that is actually harder mm-hmm. but yeah it really it got to a point where like, there was things with my heart and all this stuff and I when I was withdrawing I really it was it was um I was like I'm gonna die that was pretty easy like you know snap thing there you know as well the reason that I was able to get out of it was because other people were really open about it with me so that's why I was like well it's the least I can do you know about battles I I don't think it was really it's not really battles as such it just alcohol was just always the one for me and I actually am really happy that it was alcohol and not something else honestly (laughs) I mean weirdly it's the one that's legal but yeah it could have been anyone let's put it that way Looking back, it was surely going to happen. I mean, having a bottle of vodka in your school bag as well as a bottle of water and thinking that's normal. Or, you know, I, whenever we go to Sydney, I, I can give people the drunk tour of Sydney. It's like, oh, that's where I collapsed in the middle of King Street, Newtown. Uh, and my friend had to, like, pull me to the side of the road or, like, in, you know, in traffic. Um, or that's where I wanted to jump off the back of the opera house into the harbour. And that's why there are security cameras back there now. And, oh you know, gosh. just the blackouts and all of this stuff and waking up in hospital. I never lost my violin, though. That is one thing I'm very right. No, <laughs> no matter what. I never... Still responsible, still responsible. Yeah. But this is the thing, you know, when you have black... Like, I could be having a conversation like this with you and people would swear blind that I was completely sober. And, you know, at the time, like, all, all my, you know, these guys that I was touring with had, you know, been touring since age of 19. They were much older veteran guys and they'd be like, man, it's going to happen to you. These are all the signs. And I'd be like, oh, don't, don't project onto me. Like, you know, just because, yeah. And they, one was like, some of them were functioning alcoholics. Some had been through rehab, you know, so they knew what they were talking about. And at the time I didn't, of course, I was like, no, 
I don't want to listen, you know. But when it when it got down to it, when it when it really, you know, yeah, when it really hit, shit hit the fan, let's say I knew what yeah. it was and I knew what to do about it. So that's why I don't mind talking about it. So what what made you sort of realize? I mean, because obviously when you were younger, you went through, as you mentioned, you you had people warning you of certain signs. What sort of happened that made you realize? That something was up well a couple of things like see i um there's a really great documentary actually by russell brand it's about abstinence-based recovery and they did these um scans on a whole bunch of people and they found that actually the center for addiction is very well pretty much in the center of the creative brain which explains right. a lot why <laughs> you know and i couldn't quite seem to sort of activate that creative brain without awakening <laughs> the dragon and the black dog, let's say, too. It's a lottery, which one you're going to get. So, you know, nine out of ten people will try heroin and not have a problem. But you know, you don't actually know. There's no test for it. You don't know which one's going to get you. The withdrawals were the big sign. The thing is, there's a lot of different types of addictions as well. There's ones where, I mean, anybody, if they have a drink at 3 p.m. every day, a couple of drinks at 3 p.m. for a month, and then one day they don't, they'll probably get some right. sort of shakes. You know, that is your body just trying to find balance. But there is a type that builds up over your whole life. And one day, one day it can just like bang. Like you might not even have drank for a couple of weeks and then you have like a few drinks. And that's what happened to me. I hadn't really had any drinks for like two weeks. I was working on a project. I came straight off another project. I met the director. I could tell in five minutes that he didn't know what he was talking about. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. Got a bottle of wine, poured a glass out for my friend, drank the rest over an hour. Nothing yeah. crazy. Or maybe it is crazy. I have no idea. Yeah, same thing the next night. And then bang, withdrawals for three days. Like shaking, sweating, heart racing. Medically, that I had some other issues with my heart. It was not meant to be able to go above 180. Under medical circumstances, going 220. Yeah, I was like, okay, this, <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is yeah, not joking. I see. So I see what you mean now when you were saying, you know, you feel like you didn't have a choice. You felt like you were going to die if you have like actual physical reaction yeah. yes exactly you know and then just other signs like I mean you know looking back on all this stuff I already mentioned clearly it was an issue a couple years late and you know I've relapsed you know I don't mind admitting that too it things happen and you just and you know but there was one one time in my life where like I had been about a year clean and sober and um, I was just like, everything was going fine in my life, you know, nothing wrong, nothing to complain about. And I saw this guy in an alley staggering around in this long overcoat, like the full on like movie cliche, right? In this full on <laughs> overcoat with the brown paper bag, like swigging it. And I was yeah. so jealous of him. I was like, wow, he is living in this one moment. He has not a care in the world. He's so free in this moment. And I, I want that. And then I slapped oh. myself and I was like, what the, what, <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you doing? This is, yeah. So it is every, oh you know, there are, there are triggers. Like I, I can buy alcohol. I can be around people who drink. I go to pubs. That's the musician's office, isn't it? You know, I even can pretend to drink in shows. Like it doesn't bother me, but it'll be the weirdest things that trigger you. Like, you know, we were in Australia and we had to go to a party and I was the easiest one out of the car. So I went and bought the champagne, right? That was all fine. But in the car, when the bottles clinked together, I got goosebumps oh, and my hair stood up and I was like, oh, and I could feel it sliding down my throat. And I was like, oh, interesting, you know. So it's just, you know, you just have to be, just be aware. And, you know, generally as well, just like keeping good people around you that aren't going to judge you. Like you, being really careful with like whose opinions enter your heart, <laughs> you know. Yeah, 
being honest. I mean, like, I guess, as you mentioned, you feel comfortable talking about it because you're really grateful for uh, the openness of other people. How did you start talking about it with other people? Always, actually, because when I quit, I was in the middle of a tour, so I had to talk about it. Like, why aren't you drinking? Like, and you know, the the usual, like, oh, just wine, oh, just wine, wine won't won't hurt. Like, no, I'm an alcoholic. That would stop the conversation right there. And because, you know, it is, there is the culture. But at the same time, the more that started happening, then I'd get people being like, oh, man, I think... Is it normal to, you know, and I, I can't give you advice. Everyone's situation is different. I can just tell yeah. you what happened to me, tell you what I was told and hope that maybe, yeah, maybe it sort of helps or at least, isn't that what we do as musicians? We sort of articulate things in music mm. or feelings or emotions that people can't articulate themselves in words. Yeah. So it's like maybe if hearing about what, what this stuff, people are like, oh man, like that's, I identify with that and then maybe it kind of like triggers them to sort of research a little bit more into it or, or examine what might be causing some of their behaviours. <laughs> I think it's really interesting what you say about like surrounding yourself with good people and and there's that parallel also with being a musician because you're always, as you mentioned before, articulating something either musically but also verbally as well. You know, the way that we rehearse, we have to be able to communicate with each other and be aware of what's going on. Yes. Because, I, I mean, it must just be so valuable that, you know, people were asking you those questions like, why aren't you drinking? Because it gave you that opportunity to say, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but, but it is, you know, it is the culture. And even, oh, I love them, but I have family members who, you know, have a cognac on Sunday morning and even they're just like, oh, just a beer. You know, it's like vegetarians, I suppose, right? They're, oh, just seafood. <laughs> like, it's like, no, <laughs> I really, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've made this choice. Like, you, you're going to stick to it. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is, the, the dangerous thing is, though, like, you can have a few free passes, you know. You can, if you do, like, have a sip, it, you can actually come out of it okay. You know, it's not, but there are people who have a sip and then they'll be back to square one. And yeah. I luckily was one of the ones who had a free pass. But that is dangerous in itself because you get one or two free passes and then like you think you're fine. Slippery slope. Yeah. 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 So for me, I, the best decision was just like, I mean, who knows? Like, you know, this is probably not technically the right thing to say, but, you know, maybe one day in like 20 years, I'll be able to have a glass of wine. We didn't. I, I very much doubt it. Let's see. I'm a bit yeah. of all or nothing, you know, just generally. <laughs> so I think that's yeah. where a lot of this comes from anyway. Well, I think it's just very valuable to hear that perspective, just to hear it from someone who's been through it. Because I think I think a lot of the discourse surrounding it is kind of like commentated from people who haven't been through it, you know, and so then it can be difficult to understand. But it's like anything that I think, you know, with COVID as well, like mental health being put really on the table a lot more. Um, and it's just mm. kind of, I guess, being a bit sensitive to like what other people might have, like you never know what's going on in someone's life, you know. And people yeah. sometimes accuse me of overthinking things, <laughs> but it's like, you know, I'd rather overthink it and make sure I don't like piss anyone off. Okay. In school, I used to do a lot of pranks. Surprise, surprise. But my mom would sit, she'd be like, okay, I'll support this. I like creativity. Great. But we'd sit there and analyze it from every angle to make sure no one could get hurt. And then we'd, she'd give that she was an engineer. So seal of approval. Okay. Yeah, you can go ahead with it. <laughs> I approve of this, Frank. <laughs> yeah, to make sure no one could get hurt, you know, just like yeah, yeah. 
physically, but also, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great life lesson there. It's like, do what you want as long as you're not hurting others. You know, just consider things from another person's point of view. There's so much to glean from that. I got an email from the health, the health insurance and it was like a picture of some champagne and it was like, to help you know when to indulge. <laughs> and I was like, this is like literally like an unsolicited email about articles on their website or something. And it's like, you are sending this to people. Like, you don't know if that triggers like a picture of like... I was like, yeah. and I, I, but then I was like, am I overreacting? So I actually put a post on pace, Facebook and asked people, I was like, should I write to them? Is this a bit like, am I just a bit sensitive about this particular issue? You know, but anyway, look. No, I think, I think it's all good because you're being, you're being honest, you know, you're being authentic. And because I think we've had so many generations of things being swept under the carpet that, you know, people see that as the norm. But, you know, attitudes are changing. I'm hoping that people are becoming more empathetic with others, especially after the year the entire world has had. Well, yeah, totally. (laughs) But, I mean, if you really wanted to strip me down to, like, bear, like, with no sympathy whatsoever, you would just be like, well, you know, with fire, with physical stuff, with pushing the the crew to try impossible stuff, like, isn't, aren't you just looking for another high? And you, there would be a degree of truth in that, I would say. Oh. But my answer would be that I have managed to channel something that was potentially destructive mm. into something constructive. The way I live my life, like the, my balance might not be everyone's balance, <laughs> you know, like what I day to day, but it works for like, I've found a way to yeah. exist. And, you know, you, you do sort of get a little bit less tolerant of bullshit because you know as long as I've got my sobriety and as long as I'm not that guy on the street in the alley and and I'm in here talking to you and talking to people and making stuff with my incredible guys and being able to do music and travel well eventually maybe (laughs) you know then I'm like you know what like that's that's enough you know that I can tell people what happened to me but I try not to be like do this or do that oh yeah absolutely not because no one wants to be preached to, but like I think we can always listen and learn and try and understand and then take how that applies to your own situation. Yeah. Well, as as I know, like they, they didn't preach to me and I still didn't take them seriously. So Thank you so much for sharing that. As you may or may not know, I have a section in my podcast called The Wild Card Question Round where you get to choose what I ask you next based on three topics that I present you. Okay. So <laughs> it was like sudden gear change from like what we were talking about before. Modulation! <laughs> um, okay, okay, so, so your, your topics topic. are what's in your case, finish the sentence, and travel destinations. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my case is that interesting, actually. I know people who have, like, crazy... I'd probably just go with this. I I travel wherever I have to, so I'll go with the sentence. Let's do it. The finish the sentence one? Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. It's, again, quite vague, but... In 2021, I can't wait to... (laughs) I just... (laughs) The first thing that popped into my mind is not possible to say get back on stage yeah get back on stage yeah that's no surprise eh (laughs) i know when will you be able to perform again 
where you are. This little shop window cabaret that we started, we sort of just did a few pilots in December and then we actually got some funding from a lovely organisation mm-hmm. called Basis Kultur to do that in a month, so in June. We're doing a few of them. It's not a stage, but it's what we've got, uh, that's what we can do. And yeah, then in the summer, like with Freestyle, we've got a couple of festivals booked and we actually started our own festival too for the first year, which is a interdisciplinary festival, of course, but it's like really encouraging artists of all fields, like projection artists, circus artists, rock, Irish music, classical opera, you know, we're putting them all in a secret garden for two days and encouraging them to crash each other's sets if there's like an Irish thing happening and there's an Irish dancer, they work like they get up on stage and do it. If there's a you know a classical or opera thing happening and an aerialist is really feeling it, encourage them to get up and improv some stuff. Wow, I love it. It's like real time collaboration. That's yeah, some of it will be planned for the set changeovers. We'll be asking people yeah. to like you know do a, one or two songs together, um, and some of it yeah. will be like really spontaneous. And it's really just taking all these art forms out of where they usually are and chucking them all together and seeing what happens so <laughs> I feel like that is where you excel just given you know what we've been talking about today is just taking all sorts of different disciplines and putting them together channeling your creativity to make it work well I'm not surprised that the thing that you can't wait to do in 2021 is get back on stage or over the stage or whatever preposition you want to use yeah yeah <laughs> what about you what's your answer 2021 you know what I can't wait to travel again because as much as I love my flat, I think I really, really look forward to having a destination to go to. I've mentioned this before, but I have the EasyJet app on my phone, and I used to get really disheartened if I didn't have a ticket booked on there for a future trip. But obviously, that app has been completely obsolete for over a year now. Mm -hmm. And so I think if I have an e-ticket on my phone for anything like a a little train trip away or a plane journey I've got a sister who lives in Germany so even if it's popping over to Europe to see her and her family I will be super happy yeah I can't wait to travel again because it's just I think it's not just going to the destination but the things that surround it like you know preparing your suitcase and planning where you're going to go well for me planning where I'm going to (laughs) eat planning what streets I'm going to wander so I can find somewhere to eat yeah. Eating new food. A lot of these things revolve around food. Traveling and eating. That would be my answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, yeah, I also can't wait for the travel because, you know, as I said, our crew doesn't live in the same place. So being able to train together and just, I mean, Zoom is one thing, but just being in the room <laughs> and like oh, trying yeah. stuff. So yeah, yeah just, just having a massive, massive creation period. <laughs> awesome. like, we'll get there. We'll get there. We sure. will. We'll get there. Sonia, thank you once again for joining me on the podcast today and for sharing your wonderful views and experiences. Thanks for having me. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Probably Insta's the best right now. Good old Insta. Everything's on Insta at the moment, isn't it? The website's been on the list for a while. We haven't quite got there. So yeah, you say I'm productive, but not not with everything. Well, yeah, it depends because you can choose to be productive for certain things. And quite often, I think websites tend to fall down to the bottom of the list. I think so, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, Instagram at Freestyle Orchestra or at Sonia underscore Shebek underscore pyro violinist i should probably make that shorter 
but yeah wow and that fits all in like the 15 yeah i don't know like for some reason i cannot add a the to the front of freestyle orchestra but my own one is really long so i don't know what's going on there well we'll put those in the show notes so that people can check you and your work out and once again thank you for being on the podcast thanks for having me man and like yeah great podcast i really enjoy listening to this one it's been getting me through a bit of the lockdown that was my chat with sonia I loved chatting to her, and I can't wait until travel is a thing again because I'm going to go to Vienna to visit. Do make sure you check out the show notes for Sonia and the Freestyle Orchestra's details, as well as a link to the documentary by Russell Brand that Sonia mentioned in the chat. It's called From Addiction to Recovery, made a little while ago now, back in 2012, a year after the death of Amy Winehouse. I'd recommend watching the documentary as Russell Brand is very open about his experiences with coming clean and his campaign to treat addiction as a health issue as opposed to a criminal one. It's pretty intense, but at the same time quite light-hearted as Russell Brand loves taking the piss out of everyone. So I definitely recommend checking out that film. It delves into a lot of what I spoke about with Sonia in case you're interested in finding out more. And that's it for today. Special thanks to Roz Nagy for my logo and Daniel Alms for my jingle. Massive, massive thanks to Sonia for being my guest for this episode. Episode 50. Who would have thought I would have gone this far? I remember celebrating my 10th episode. It felt like just the other day. Although we have had an entire pandemic in between. And as always, thank you for listening. I wouldn't have kept going to 50 episodes if I knew no one was listening, so thank you for continuing to do so. If you like what you hear, you can support the podcast by buying me a coffee on my coffee page. Link is in the show notes. Get in touch at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com or on the website asitcomes.com, where you'll also find all previous episodes and transcripts of the podcast. You can also get in touch with me via Instagram and Facebook, where I highly recommend you give me a follow and a like at As It Comes Pod. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to those who've already done so. And thanks for continuing to spread the word. Chat to you soon and take good care. Bye. (laughs) 